Going presently through the flying hour. This is the Gargsville Podcast with your host, Gargs Allard. Welcome everyone to the ninth episode of the Gargsville Podcast. This is your host, Gargs Allard, and it's been a while. I have gone through a few things, including a life-transforming trip to upstate New York and back, which unfortunately ended with a bang on July 5th when my friend and I were rear-ended by an RV and pushed into a tour bus while coming back down I-95 on July 5th. So suffice it to say, the last several months I have been trying to heal from some serious injuries. I don't want to get into it anymore at this time other than to say that I'm learning a lot about myself. Oh my God. Now I'm starting to sound like Stuart Smalley, but that's okay. Today we have an interview with Tarika Larson, known for her work with her sister Nimai in the band Prince Rom. She has just dropped her first solo album called Welcome to Paradise Lost. I've listened to it a number of times and I love it. Tarika went through some things herself lately, including the breakup of her successful aforementioned band, After some serious soul-searching, the result was Welcome to Paradise Lost. And we're going to talk a lot about the making of the album and what led her to that. Part of it involved living alone with a snake for a while in Texas. The record really resonated with me as I've been going through some soul-searching myself, and I really enjoyed it. When I was a writer and music editor for Insight Magazine, I got to do an email interview with her regarding a Prince Rom release, but the interview you're about to hear is a much more in-depth conversation. Just before we get to that, I would like to say, and I think this relates to my conversation with Tarika, that mainstream media's quest of dividing us doesn't have to be effective if we don't let it become so. They have no power over us if we don't give them that power. It seems like there's so much hate in the world now between people who disagree with one another. It has permeated this country and turned citizens against each other. And I don't like it. I think it's especially true in this atmosphere where more and more people are fearful and confused and so automatically dismissive and closed-minded as to the point of view of others. And we're letting the media do this to us. But back to my prior point. In my personal experience, every time I choose to try to love and understand someone else, it seems to work out much more for the better for all involved. So without further ado, here's my interview with Tarika. I've listened to your album probably about I don't know, six or seven times. Oh, cool. Thanks. That's nice. You're welcome. And when I do an interview with someone, it's obligatory, of course, that I I listen to the person's album. At least I think that I should do that. Otherwise, Well, you you might think it's obligatory. You'd be surprised how many people do interviews and have no idea what the fuck you even sound like. So. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's terrible to have to go through that. Oh yeah, it's, it's fun. I just, I just, you know, I feel like I kind of fuck around with them if I feel like they don't know who I am. I'm like, oh, okay, so you're just like asking these like script questions for everyone. 
you know, <laughs> I'll just give you some weird answers and figure it out. <laughs> right, right, right. But well, the point I was making is that it it went beyond obligatory because I really liked the record and I've I've listened to it like I said a number of times and um it's very deep it's deep it has many layers musically there's many musical influences obviously there on um, not just the music but also your vocals and um I don't even think that I've uh, kind of reached the apex of listening to it yet. So, oh, thanks. <laughs> so sweet to say. Yeah. So I, but I, I want to apologize because, I, you know, there's like what there's 14 tracks and they're all good. First, first of all, I like every single track, and oh, they all stand up individually. However, at the same time, they're amazing as a whole body of work. Um. And that's why I don't feel like I can do it justice to, if I was to even try to review it right now. I'd, I'd, I'd have to listen to it more. Um, Aw. Well, thanks. I hope it's one of those things that, you know, I my, my favorite albums are things that, you know, it hits you a certain way when you first listen to it. And then it just keeps giving, like, years and years later. Like, you can listen to it at any time, in any state of mind, and it'll tell you something new, you know? Exactly. So I like that. I still have albums I listen to from, you know, when I was six years old that I love so much. And I feel like I'm uncovering more and more layers to them, you know. Of course, when you're six, you're not really listening for a lot of layers. You're just getting, you know, you're just, you're actually probably in the best state to be listening to music of your entire life when you're six. Because you're just tuned into the, the pure spirit behind it. You know, you're not thinking about anything else. You're not thinking, oh, it's this band, and they're probably influenced by this band, and they emerged in this social milieu, and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? It's like, they're on this label. No, you've got none of those preconceptions. You're just, like, very... Kids are, like, the most uh, honest critics. I'm always very interested to test my albums on kids to see, you know, how they respond. Uh, they're very honest. You know, if they don't like something will be very honest they're not into it if they really like something they will obsess over it you know i have two. Young, i feel like it's like the best compliment if a kid likes your your song so i have two young granddaughters and, and uh i just turned one of them on about a year ago to yellow submarine oh yeah that was a, that was a favorite when, <laughs> when i was a kid <laughs> although it's weird i kind of like some of the darker beatles songs too when i was a kid like, I remember being really into Strawberry Fields and, like, Eleanor Rigby when I was young. Well, that's because you're deep. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm sure I wasn't really listening to it for that. I think it was just sonically they just had something about them that I really liked, you know? When my daughter was eight, she wanted to hear the first track on the first Black Sabbath album again and again. Oh, cool. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> You're probably turning around to some cool music. I mean, I mean, my parents, they had good, they had good taste. So I, I lucked out, but they weren't listening to Black Sabbath or anything like that. Um, a lot of Beatles. Uh-huh. I remember Donovan, Incredible String Band, uh-huh. Moody Blues. Yeah. So, you, so you've always truly loved music and I'm assuming that's what got you into it. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't think you get into music, you know, unless you really, truly loved it because it's very, you know, there's so many aspects of it that can be torture, even if you love music. So you got to really, really love it, I think. Be crazy enough to get into it. But yeah, I've always loved it from an early age. I mean, I remember my parents uh, had the Sgt. Pepper's cassette tape and I just listened to it over and over and over again. I just thought it was the coolest thing ever how old were you i was like i don't know like i mean maybe even younger than six that that's kind of when i try to think of my earliest music memory for some reason that album kind of sticks out although my mom said she took me to a tom petty bob dylan concert when i was in the womb uh which is funny because i actually didn't really ever like tom petty until recently um, now I can tolerate him. I'm not saying I really like that big of a Tom Petty fan, but there's a few songs that are cool. I cried for a week when he died. Oh, <laughs> you know, like watching that documentary, I don't know if it's just like growing up, you know, like going to school in Gainesville and just having Tom Petty kind of like push down your throat a lot and being a teenager and be like, whatever, you know, uh-huh. right. Cause you're just against whatever everyone else likes. Right. Um, but then, like, yeah, I don't know, like, later, yeah, I watched that, like, long, I mean, you know, that, like, four-hour documentary about him, and I was like, whoa, he seems like a really cool guy. And Running down um, a dream. Yeah, man, that song, Refugee, I will listen to over and over. That that song is amazing. Um, yeah, he's got some really good ones. I mean, I, I kind of just dig him as a person. I think he seemed like a really cool person, you know? But, yeah, there's it's cool to kind of come around to things later. Again, I don't think I really was able to appreciate some of the layers when I was a teenager, you know, Tom Petty, there's, you know, there's been like some few people like that where I'm like, wow, am I like growing older? Am I like liking mom rock now? Like suddenly I'm listening to like Credence Clearwater revival and like, I don't know, Leonard Skinner and stuff. I'm like, man, I think I'm, I think I like dad rock now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's best if you analyze it after rather than before, because if you try to analyze it before, a lot of times you won't even listen to it. Yeah, there's true. A, there's, and then there's, there's, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say there's some stuff that, you know, I, I used to love listening to that I'm not, I don't know. It's like, it, it, I, I try to revisit it now and it just makes no impact on me. Well, I listened to Van Halen and Foreigner when I was a teenager, but I don't have much interest. But I don't have much interest. (laughs) Not that I don't appreciate Eddie Van Halen's guitar playing or Cold as Ice or, you know, whatever. Uh It's kind of catchy, you know. Right. The arena rock thing that was going on then. But um, a lot of times. But but I was just going to say in reverse, like you were saying before, like when I first heard the Bee Gees, you know, ah, it's disco. I'm not going to listen to it. But now of course I love right. Bee Gees. So hopefully you grow past those barriers. Yeah. I mean, I think time will tell, you know I mean? I think there's like definitely, um, yeah, there's some things that you're just not ready for when they first come out. You know, some of my, some of my favorite albums have been like that, you know, where, where I listened to them at first and I fucking hated them. Like, what is this? This is terrible, like unlistenable. But it was like terrible in a certain kind of way. 
where it's not just bad, like I'm never going to listen to this again. It's bad in a way that gets under your skin because deep down there's a part of you that knows that if I keep listening to this, I'm going to have to change. Do you know what I mean? It's like the part of you that hates it is the part of you that's dying right now. And this album is like initiating you into the new part of you, but you don't know that at the time. So it's just super uncomfortable and you kind of reject it. And then, you know, you listen to it more and like surrender to, you know, just being open to hearing this this new thing and, and accepting a part of you that might be into, I don't know, you know, Kate Bush (laughs) that you were not into before and then just let yourself change. I never thought of it like that, but I think you're right. It's actually yeah. about, it's about yourself. Yeah, totally. And some of those albums are like the most special because you know how much you hated it in the beginning. So it's like kind of got this inside joke, you know, between you and this record. <laughs> well, You're like, man, you really taught me a lot about myself, <laughs> you know? <laughs> there's, there, it's like that in relationships with people. Sometimes oh, yeah, you totally. might not like somebody at the beginning. Right. Uh, you know, for one reason or, or, or another. There's one particular song I'm trying to remember. Oh, man. There's a, there's a lot of things. All these songs. Um, okay, first of all, Welcome to Paradise Lost. Now, that's mm-hmm. the title track of, of the record. And Yeah. Um, okay, before I tell you what I think, I just want to know, what do you mean by by that, Paradise Lost? <laughs> Oh, come on. I don't want to ruin it for you. What do you think I mean? <laughs> okay, well, I think that the whole album, uh, part of it, it feels like, and, and maybe it was something that you were going through. You know, I read the press release. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it seems to be about birth, death, and rebirth on a number of levels. Yeah. And I, I think you're really... It, it you know it said it was pouring out of you. I think you're really playing for from the heart, and by the end of the whole, I'm going to call it a record because I'm 57 years old. By the end, of oh the yeah, whole, well it, it is a record, you know <laughs> for sure. The uh, old record gloves, of a time, right? Old gloves, and you're showing so many different emotions and battles with yourself. You're talking about failure and feeling, you know, feel you know talking about failed again, failed yeah. again, and this is a test. And, yep. you know, you feel so many different influences in the album. Anyway, I'm going off a little sidetrack here. You know, no. like you hear, like, you know, I don't know. And, and maybe this is just me hearing it, right? But I hear, like, touches of Deborah Hari when you're singing. I hear touches of Joan Jett or even, like, Enya. I hear power. Pop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hear power pop. I hear avant-garde uh-huh. stuff. I hear of obviously there's a lot of punk in it, and there's a lot of psychedelic stuff. There's a lot of Beatles uh, music. Oh yeah, like there's one song I can't remember the name of it, but there's like, you know, the song "The End" from the Beatles. There's that piano that seems to be giving a nod to that. I don't know. I have no idea. Oh, yeah. And then you hear the Roy Orbison, you know, pretty woman guitar lick almost. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Which song was that? Is that um, 001110? Yeah, that, that, yes, I think it's that. You know, just that, that catchy title. Yeah. 
<laughs> at the end of it. So, but there's and and there's there's some like power chords. There's some rock and oh, roll yeah. in it too. And and so you're doing all these different types of vocal. You know, um, you have all these different vocal personalities. You go all kinds of places. Like if I try to sing something, I'm you know, I'm a terrible singer, but it's it's monotone. I it's hard for me to do different types of styles. But you have like a lot of it is really catchy at the same time. Mm. Um, so, but old gloves is just touching. It's a it's it's about like getting beyond fear, which is really important for these times, right? Yeah, totally. And you know, yeah, be, for, become, for <laughs> it's all about becoming yourself, right? Or or it's it's kind of about self realization. Yeah, you know, I had a friend of mine that used that term old gloves like he was and you know he's not around anymore but he was telling me how you know this world just feels too small for his hands like a pair of old gloves Mm. and it's that image always just stuck with me and uh because i i feel that a lot and i think a lot of times when we're stuck in this place where it feels like the world is just grating down on you and um you know, you feel all this pressure and it just feels like you have the weight of the world. What if the world's not beating down on you? It's more like you are outgrowing it and you are feeling that friction and you're feeling that, uh, yeah, that friction of just emerging, like you're pushing up against the skin of it because you're ready to burst out, you know? Sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, going back to the Welcome to Paradise Lost song, like, I mean, I I wrote that song and a number of the other songs while I was living in this, uh, <laughs> I guess, like a simulated Garden of Eden that I constructed in this gallery space near my hometown in Texas. Um, I kind of lived in isolation with this seven-foot-long Sonoran gopher constrictor. And, um, <laughs> right <about> that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was amazing. I mean, uh, that, that state taught me so much about just life. Um, but you know, there was a moment where, uh, you know, it, it had gone into hiding for a while. And of course I totally internalized that and thought I was doing something wrong. I'm like, Oh man, like I got this snake. It doesn't even like me, you know, <laughs> like what am I doing wrong? And, but then, you know, I, I, I I realized after like, you know, looking up some stuff, I'm like, Oh, the snake is about to shed, you know? And when snakes are about to shed, they're the most vulnerable, you know, this milky fluid kind of comes over their eyes and over their entire skin, which helps slough off the old skin. And so they can't see, you know, they're blind. Like it's probably super uncomfortable. Um, so they just kind of go into hiding and, you know, when it came out and, you know, shed its skin, it felt like this, like, old gloves kind of feeling because it just was very unceremonious about it. Like, after the skin was shed, I mean, I was like, whoa, this is so cool. I got to save this, you know, freaking out about the skin. And it was just kind of like, whatever, you know, (laughs) onward and upward. And, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, even just the idea of, like, changing bodies, like, thinking about these bodies as gloves, you know, um, or like, you know, your house where you live could be like a glove, um, your community or different beliefs. I mean, anything can really be that. 
Yeah. Was this, how did the snake's new skin look? Oh, beautiful. I mean, so when snakes first shed, their skin is just bright. The colors are the brightest they'll ever be. Very shiny, kind of waxy. And uh, when they're about to shed, you know it because their skin starts looking a little like old and dusty, you know? So, yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, so it's like changing your body. It really is like changing your body. Yeah. It's, um, and, and they do it really often, actually, like some snakes do it like once a month, you know? Um, and it's, it's this whole process of like, you know, How long like a week. It, it, once a month and it takes a week. That's one quarter of a snake's life. I know. I know. It's a lot. That's like a yeah, extended menstrual period or something. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It did feel like that. And, and the snakes like totally pms like when they're about to shed. It was just like hissing and bitchy, you know. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah, because it like, doesn't want to be touched, doesn't want to, it doesn't eat. It just kind of goes into hiding for a week. Um, so. Yeah, and it was really interesting too because when I got the snake, so, I mean, the whole sort of concept behind me going into this, uh, I don't know, isolation tank, so to speak, with a snake was, um, this was right after Prince Rama broke up and I was just sort of, I don't know, I kind of quit music, so to speak. I was like, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I'm kind of done with this. Um, I had had interviewed your sister just when she was leaving. I listened to that interview. It was really nice. It was a really thoughtful interview, I thought. Thank you. Um, Yeah. The recording quality wasn't very good, though. I had the fan on. Ah, (laughs) it happens, whatever. Um, Yeah, I mean, I love my sister. It was, like, very hard for me when she left. I mean, I felt like we had been attached to the hip, you know, for, like, 10 years. It was like marriage breaking up or something, you know. I loved Prince Um, Rome. I played them a lot on my radio show, Gainesville Grooves. Oh, cool. uh, And, uh, but, you know, I have to say this. This album is, it's kind of like, you know, when Pink Floyd put out Dark Side of the Moon or The Wall or something, you know, it's just, it's really, at least to me, it's even more accessible. Oh, thanks. It means a lot. And I, yeah, I, don't I know. really like Prince Ram. Don't get me wrong. Oh, me too. I mean, Prince Ram is like my favorite band. So, you know, <laughs> I have nothing against Prince Like, some people are weird. They're like, oh, is it weird for you to talk about Prince Ram? I'm like, no, man. It's my favorite band. Like, I mean, it's taken me a while to get to that place. I think, you know, obviously, when you're in it, I'm my own worst critic. Um, <laughs> but now it's over. I just love listening to it. And I'm like, wow, it's so fun. I love this music, you know? So you are in, I mean, you formed a band with your sister and, somebody it was called Dossi, right and yeah um i don't know if you know devavon like new krishna name he used to go by michael michael yeah. collins yeah yeah i know that's the uh, sure. game yeah yeah so he yeah, was in Dossi? He was, it was, yeah okay yeah and yeah then it became, he, you became prince ram of ayodhya after right right um yeah and then it went to prince rama I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a funny, yeah, it's a funny evolution. Um, Dossie was fun. Dossie was a lot of fun. Uh, I just revisited that album recently, too. I thought it was, like, the worst thing ever when <laughs> we recorded it, but 
you know, obviously some years go by, and you're like, man, that was that was very ambitious for a couple fifteen year olds that like barely knew how to play their instruments, you know. You guys were fifteen. Yeah. Well, I guess we were different ages because Michael's a little older than me and Nima's a little younger. But yeah, you know, uh, right, like around that age, fourteen, fifteen, uh-huh. sixteen. Yeah, you know. Wow, I didn't know you were that young when you did it. Yeah, yeah, pretty young. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, so you were in Austin. Are you in New York now? I am. Yeah, I'm how, in New York. How is it? Does it feel uh, almost? Is it weird? Can you say the Fuck late? Yeah, can you weird. say the late great New York, or do you think this? Well, I'm not in New York City. Okay, I got I got the hell out of there. Uh-huh. Um, I actually moved out of there like in 2019. I just felt like something was off. It just felt like I don't know, maybe it was some foresight or something. But um, I live like an hour and a half north of the city, um, kind of upstate in this artist residency. Okay, um, I've been doing. I came up here to kind of start recording or finish recording um, Welcome to Paradise Lost. And, you know, guys, we got to watch out for what you, uh, what you set out to find. You know, I set out to find Paradise Lost and I, I found it. And it's not that comfortable, you know. <laughs> um, New York definitely feels like a Paradise Lost to me. In a lot of ways, um, but also, but don't most people feel that they have a there's a paradise lost in their life? Oh yeah, I mean totally. I think, or a number know, of them. Yeah, and and I guess you know I I'm interested in that term as a very open ended sort of idea. I mean, you have to have you have to have experienced paradise to begin with to have a paradise lost. Um or at least an idea of paradise. Like, I think there's also this, um, I don't know, uh, uh, a bad habit you can get into where, you know, you're chasing paradise and you have this illusion of what paradise is. And then you realize at a certain point it it doesn't exist. It was just an idea. And Uh then that's your paradise lost. And, if that's the case, it's actually very liberating, you know, right, um, right. paradise lost could be like a real sort of freedom because, you know, you're just breaking free of that illusion. You know, um, I think a lot of us were indoctrinated into thinking this world is a paradise of some sort, or, you know, being a rock star is a paradise or, or moving right. to New York city is a paradise or, right. you know, any number of things, you know, this will, this will give me paradise. And, when you realize that that was just an idea, you know, it was just something that, you know, was kind of sold to you. It's like, as soon as you lose that, you're like, you're free, you know, right. you're out of the cage. You're like, Oh wow. Like I can just be in reality. You know, I can actually start appreciating this place and this existence for what it is, you know, and it's not paradise. It's, um, that's not to say there's not beauty, you know, or magic, but paradise has a very interesting feeling or connotation to it. I mean, paradise kind of connotes perfection in a way, 
you know, in paradise, there was nothing wrong. There's no conflict. Everything uh-huh. works out. You know, there's no desire. There's no sex. There's no um, enemies. I always thought there's of, no predators. I, thought, I always <laughs> thought of paradise as the opposite. <laughs> How so? In terms of sex. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking about like in the Garden of Eden or whatever. You know? Okay, in the Garden of Eden. Right, right. But yeah, yeah, no, totally. I mean, that—that's that, it, though. I mean, there's so many, there's so many versions of paradise, you know. <laughs> right, and I'm not saying that paradise, you know, paradise has so many different, I guess, definitions, right? Right. Totally. Uh, but you, you with with Prince Ram, you did the album Extreme Now and Trust Now, correct? Uh huh. And I always thought that when I was like, you know, yearning for some past that I lost or whatever. I sometimes I realize because I was in the moment at that time mm. and I was not in anxiety. I wasn't, you know, worried about anything from the past or worried about something that could happen in the future. I was just kind of enjoying my life free from yep. anxiety. And that's what I'm yearning, really yearning for. And I associate with what was happening then with that state of mind. Mm. Of course, that's when I was like really, really young. But then again, sometimes we may, I think that we may um, exaggerate how great things were in the past. That's called nostalgia. Nostalgia. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. I mean, yeah. And then as soon as you have an experience of just like being really present, it's funny how that nostalgia just kind of leaves and you realize you never left that space. I mean, it's different. Maybe your surroundings are different, but that feeling you're tapped in. You yeah, know? you're tapped in. And then you feel you feel good. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny, like, even though this year has been, you know, I mean, crazy on so many levels, it's like, I do feel more present in a weird way. Uh huh. So I haven't been as stressed out, which is nice. And I, I also, I mean, obviously I've been going through a lot of different, um, you know, layers of the onion with it as everyone else is. But, you know, I think there is also this grieving that is happening where it's not necessarily nostalgia for the past, but there's like this grieving that, wow, it's just, that world just doesn't exist yeah, anymore. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. that just doesn't, yeah, you can't go back. You know, it's like that, that song on the, on what the, what Drama, did you say? You uh, said you, you hit thing. You can't go back huh? to the, what was the lyric? You can't go back to that gate. Oh yeah. You can't go back to those gates. Right. It's yeah. Just in Eden. Right. 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 And, and what was the other, we used, what was it? We used to laugh in the sun. Was that one of the lines? We used to laugh in the sun. We used to laugh at ourselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That makes me feel sad when I hear it. Yeah, it totally. Makes, it makes it's a me, sad song. Uh-huh. You know? Like a lot of these songs are actually secretly sad songs. I think there's, a lot of people don't realize that about my music. It's all party on the outside, you know. But but there's a there's hope in the songs as well. It's hope? Not, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think there is. That's nice I, to hear. I think there I don't is know if because, I believe in hope. Well, well the way I say, see it is that okay, so we used to do these things. Mm. Now, you know, maybe that's not here anymore. <laughs> But, but the essence, we can still find the essence of it. Yeah. To me, I feel like it's 
maybe like an acceptance. I mean, I know when I'm writing these songs, there's a lot of, um, it's kind of me making peace or raging peace, I should say, with these like really uncomfortable emotions. Um, uh-huh. And so I think that's why, you know, it feels kind of party on the outside. It's like, it's a celebration of failure. It's a celebration of loss. It's a celebration of ennui and disillusion. Um, and maybe in accepting that, I don't know if hope would be the word, because that to me feels like it's looking to the future and not accepting what's happening right now. Uh-huh. Um, I feel like hope and fear are very, connected you know both have to deal with the future and neither one are really rooted in reality it's kind of like there's a hope for something Uh and it's taking you out of the moment there's like a fear of something that's taking you out of the moment Uh whereas if you're just kind of celebrating the moment you're like well this is where i'm at this is how i feel and just be brutally honest with that but like not i don't know like there's a there's a fine line between being honest and wallowing in, you know, pity, self-pity or celebrating the experiences you're having. as just, this is life, baby. You know, this is how it goes and you're living it and there's love and there's loss. And if you can find the beauty in all of that, then I think you're like connected back with, you know, some greater cycle of just life, you know? Um, and, you're able to just kind of understand that this is all transitory and you might as well just celebrate this. Cause you know, tomorrow might be another day. And if you can just make peace with wh- wherever you're at, it, things will get better in the future because you're being present and the future is just a bunch of presences, you know, mm-hmm. building on themselves. So, right. I mean, if you're if, just putting too much stock in quote unquote hope, then you, you're not living in the, right. living in the present, but you can still have the feeling that things can get better. And yeah, and, optimism maybe uh-huh. is a better word. Or okay. Something, but. Okay. And you, you talk yeah. a lot about failure and, and uh, mm-hmm. being hard on yourself. And it kind of reminded me of, a, a, it was kind of a, one of the last interviews that Leonard Cohen gave. And they asked, mm. they asked him, does God ever talk to you? He said, well, I don't know if it's, if it's God, but I've, I, when I was younger, I heard this voice. And the voice would always say, why'd you do that, Leonard? You failed, <laughs> Leonard. You know? And then he said, mm. as I got older, the voice got a lot easier on me. You know, Take it easy. Have a sandwich. Are you okay? <laughs> Take one step at a time. He said the voice got like gentler and easier. Huh. And huh. so that's kind you ever, of you ever hear that poem of his, like God is alive, magic to foot. Was it one of his songs or one of his poems? Yeah. I think Buffy St. Marie turned it into a song. God is alive, magic to foot. It's kind of like one of my favorite things that Leonard really? Cohen's written. Yeah. It's so good. I saw Leonard Cohen live. Oh, he's amazing. So lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he really, uh, anyway. Yeah, I mean. He, he, had, I, good, I, he had a good life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he definitely wrote some incredible material. I mean, I feel like, uh, yeah, I mean, 
I feel like I have a myriad of voices that are telling me different things. I think I still definitely have those critical voices that are like, oh man, you really fucked up this time. But I will say that um, there, I, I think I've failed enough times that I realize that it's not necessarily a death sentence. And sometimes failing something is the best possible thing you could do. So it's like this double-edged sword where like maybe, you know, the thing that you were trying to win was like a fool's errand to begin with, you know? So it's kind of, it's kind of ties back into paradise loss. It's like you build these things up and you have all these expectations, but why? You know, you put all this like, like pressure on yourself, but why, what is this? And why are you playing this game that you think you can win or lose? Like, I think, um, if I'm being honest with myself, there's like a soft voice that um, usually is pretty much just like laughing at me for constantly being tricked by the idea that I can win something or lose something or succeed at something or fail uh, something. It's uh-huh. like, dude, there's no, there's no like success mm-hmm. or failure. There's no like winning or losing. Like whatever you do, it's just part of the path. You know, um, it's just, you know, it, it's more of like a, an ego game, you know, like success or failure. You can only really fail if you thought you could succeed at something to begin with, you know. Um, so, again, and, and like also maybe, what's your measure of success? Exactly. And like maybe failing is like the most liberating thing, you know, um, sure. like I remember I, uh, <laughs> I have this funny memory of being uh i don't know i think i was like 12 or 13 and uh i was running track because i don't know like that's just what you do if if you're growing up in texas and if you do sports and if you don't do sports you basically are like a total weirdo and have zero friends so i was like trying really hard to do sports um not very good not very good uh and i was running like a two-mile race and I thought I was doing pretty good, you know? I was like, you know, I thought I was like lapping all these people. Yeah. Then I realized they were they were lapping me. <laughs> and uh, at a certain point, I was the only one left running on the track. Everyone else had finished. And uh, it wasn't like I had just a little more to go. I mean, I had a lot more to go. <laughs> you know, I had like another like lap at least to do. I'm like, uh-huh. oh my God, can I really like, you know, and every one of the bleachers are just watching and it was just like so mortifying. So I was like trying to think of like a way I could get out of this, you know, <laughs> like and, and save some dignity or something. And I realized like I didn't want to finish the race. Um, all, all I wanted to do was just get out of this. So I just pretended to faint and uh, just collapsed right then and there. and made it like really dramatic, you know. And I was like waiting for the you know, EMS to come or like doctors to come get me. I was just kind of lying there for a little while and nothing was happening. And then I heard a voice and like my coach came over and she was just like, Larson, get up. (laughs) (laughs) I had not fooled anyone, you know, it was like, but in that moment, I don't know. It was like, I felt really free. Like I knew I had totally failed hard, but I don't know. It was like, I, I chose, I chose it. You know, and I realized this race was so stupid to begin with. I didn't even like track. 
And I think I pretty much quit sports after that. And I started you playing music a, and became a punk, you know, <laughs> right, right. Exactly. So it was, it was kind of a pivotal moment, you know, it was like a total failure, but it was kind of awesome, you know? Well, we put, I think um, we put pressure on ourselves, you know, in our life and even day to day, hour to hour sometimes. And, and, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. And you just wonder what, what is that? Like what, well, is that actually success? I mean, I, I ask myself a lot with this album, you know, I mean, every step of the way I'm asking myself, you know, why am I putting value on the things I'm putting value on? And, you know, this stage of releasing the album is actually the hardest stage. It's like when it actually comes out, because when you're making it, you're like, just, you know, in total fantasy land, like you have no no idea how people are going to respond. You don't care. You fucking love it. You know, and you're just like in this bubble where like the album's great, you know, everything's great. And then it's like you, you, you start releasing it and, you know, like you start getting reviews and stuff and, and that bubble just slowly gets punctured and you're like having to deal with the actual reality of like, you know, people totally misunderstanding it or like not liking it at all, hating it, you know, or ignoring it altogether. And you have to ask yourself like, well, did I make it for these people? No, you know, is, and also like how many people have like made amazing works of art that weren't appreciated until like long after their time. Right. You know, or like, you just don't know, like maybe, you know, when, when you see the, the stuff that is getting a lot of praise or a lot of attention and you're like, well, that sounds terrible <laughs> to me anyway. I'm like, well, this is awful. So if this is what's, good then like if people don't like it good that's actually like the best compliment you know right um so yeah you know again like maybe total failure is like it's it's a celebration that you're not mainstream you're not you know like the next lady gaga you know thank god you know um i don't know i i think i think if people like celebrate failure more they might get closer to like a more honest part of themselves. Like I remember, um, I don't know, I was like doing some exercises for a while where I, I tried to fail every day at something. Um, how'd you do that? Um, you tried to fail. You oh, tried easy. To fuck something yeah. E- easy. Very easy to fail. Um, you know what it was? It, I think it just, it gave me more courage because I think a lot of our fear stems from wanting things to work out. And, when we go into things wanting them to work out, I don't know. We, we end up like freezing up, you know, uh, avoiding certain things or certain people that might actually really help us, you know, or doing that thing that maybe it's like a little too crazy, you know, and people might think we're weird. It's like, if you go into it being like, all right, I'm going to go into this and totally fail. <laughs> pressure is totally off you can kind of do whatever like i actually feel like when you go into say like, i know this totally goes against the whole positive mindset manifesting whatever but i've actually found going into things being like all right total failure mindset you actually like feel way more liberated to just do things honestly because you're not worried about succeeding you know i mean i went into this album with like a total failure mindset and I think it's the most honest record I've ever made. So I feel really good about it. You know, uh-huh. 
Um, whereas like other albums, I was not going into it with a total failure mindset. You know, Extreme Now, I wanted to be like the next Lady Gaga or something. So that album was like a total failure to me, but not in a good way. You know, I was a failure because I wasn't being super honest with myself. You know, I was uh-huh. trying to, I was trying to be someone else, you know? Um, so I don't know. I, I think, I think, you know, when, when you go into just being like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to write, I'm going to reach out to this person that I'm actually really scared to write. And yeah, maybe they'll reject me. But like, you write the letter as if they're going to reject you anyway. So then you, well, I, it I doesn't become about the other person. You, you, you do it, you do it for you. So then you end up right. writing this like really awesome letter and maybe you, you even have fun writing it. You but know, I don't think that you necessarily, I, I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm reading this that you necessarily want the person to reject you. You're just, you've already accepted. that. Yeah. That it's they, more of like an acceptance. Right. You accept whatever is going to happen, but you, but you're right. still trying your best. Right. Well, yeah, but you do it for, for different reasons, I guess. Cause like, you kind of do it as if you're writing from the from a future where they already rejected you. Okay. And so if they already rejected you, then it's just about writing, you know, a letter. I'm, I'm using this example of writing a letter. I don't really know why. Um, or writing a song <laughs> or, you know, whatever. Um, but you, you do it just to have fun. You know, you do it to make yourself satisfied. So you're like, I'm not going to get that satisfaction from outside of myself. Right. And so, it, t- it takes the pressure off. It takes the pressure off. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think you end up doing things that maybe you wouldn't have normally done before. Um, every time you don't try something, that's actually a failure. You know, think of all the things you've never even tried. Like how many times have you backed away from doing something because you're afraid of failure? That's an automatic failure. I wanted to borrow my friend's lawnmower. I was afraid to ask him. Your friend's what? Lawnmower. Yeah, see, failure. <laughs> you but know, if you like go and like right. like ask your friend, you're like you're like yeah, my friend's probably not going to lend me the lawnmower, but I'm just going to ask him anyway. Just be like, yo, room, room, wow, look at that lawnmower, so cool, man. My lawn, I mean, there's just like chipmunk nests, and you know, my lawn. I wish I could just hack them all down. Be cool to use your lawnmower. Oh no, that's cool. And or pe- you could just, you know. Right, right. And people can go on for years like that, just limiting themselves because they're, yeah, exactly. they're, they're afraid of failure. Right. They're afraid, totally. afraid of rejection. Yeah. I mean, there was like so, so many things with this album where I was like, I don't know, like doing things that I was not skilled at whatsoever, had zero experience with doing. Um, but I was like, I don't know, just had a kind of more like fuck it attitude. Maybe also just like the band breaking up and stuff. I was just kind of like, I put so much, there was so much expectation and pressure with Prince Roma that I don't know. I was just like, didn't want to start something with that again. I don't think I continue doing music. If, if that was still the model I was like, that's, that's a mindset I really have to get rid of. So if you have in order to continue, uh if you have some success, and then you have a record label. Uh, how much mm-hmm. pre- pressure is that for the next record? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> and, it, the, and the more the more people that are involved, you know, I mean, at the end of Prince Rama, there's a bunch of people involved. 
you know, and so you feel like it's not just letting yourself down. You're like letting all these people down. So, yeah. You can see a lot why of a, lot of, a lot of musicians kind of respond to that situation in different ways. I mean, mm-hmm. it seems like you have to shut those voices off to even have a chance to be cre- really creative again, right? Yeah, you know, and that's why, like, I mean, I have empathy for a lot of people that get involved in, like, you know, substance abuse and stuff. I mean, it's, it's tough. You know, I, I get it. It's like sometimes it's like the pressure is so intense. You don't, and if you don't have like a, a spiritual, you know, really strong spiritual connection, or even if you do have a really strong spiritual connection, it can still be like, I don't know, really, really hard to shut those voices out. It's like you have to get outside your mind, you know, in order to just survive, you know? Sure. Um, Cause you'll just destroy yourself. So, so it's, uh, I mean, I guess you're destroying yourself in another way. It's just pick your poison, you know. But what were you gonna say? But like I said, this record gives me hope, personally, and I mean just just hearing it because it's again like the the last song is about getting over fear. So yeah, and again, it's semantics in terms of what hope means. You know what may hope mean? Sure, may, sure. Me mean to you or me, but especially in this atmosphere, to the, you know, we I feel like there's like a dark shadow over us right now. You know, there's yeah. some, there's some kind of uh, you know, there's some, some kind real of, darkness. There's some kind of bad intentions getting getting closer to us. You know, that's how I feel, mm. and 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 a lot of it I feel is that we we are. It, it they they have us in fear it's like it, mm-hmm. it's, it's the psychology and if we can get mm-hmm. past that that's the only power they really have over us yeah it's influence it's influence i listened to like a really nice lecture the other day where um this guy howdy mccaskey um some youtube dude but he was talking about you know the powers that be and people keep referring to them as you know, like people who have you know, mind control or, you know, can control us or blah, blah, blah. But really like control isn't the right word because they, they actually don't have that much power over you. You know, it's like you're your own worst enemy. Right. They can only influence you. You know, they can influence you in the direction of fear. They can influence you in the direction of self-destruction. Right, they can we, influence you. We, towards we have to actually take the step to be, we actually have to agree totally. to be under that, even if we're, we're doing uh, yeah. it unknowingly. Absolutely. It's agreement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it's totally an agreement. It's like the vampire. Like we still totally it, have the power. Right. It's like the vampire. You have to invite the vampire in. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like none of this is, we still have free will, you know, and unfortunately, I think the more you consent to, you know, giving your power to, the powers that be, um, the less free will you think you have, because it seems like, you, you know, your the walls of your paradise are getting smaller and smaller and smaller until it feels like a cage. But at any moment, you know, you can choose no, you know, um, and it, it comes in different shapes for all of us. And I would like to think that, you know, it feels so dark right now. Like, you know, you talk about this dark shadow. I would like to think that, you know, we're able to perceive this dark shadow now 
because our light is so strong. And that dark shadow has always been there, but we weren't necessarily able to see it as well. It's creeping um, closer though. <laughs> I think it's creeping maybe, closer. Yeah. Or, or maybe you're, you're creeping closer to it. Or maybe both. You know, I, I think. It yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, but, but it, maybe it's like a confrontation, you know, and it's not necessarily like it's creeping closer to you. Like maybe you're like getting closer to it in the sense of like, you're, like unraveling, like things are unraveling in your life of course. and like different belief systems are unraveling and you're able to like right. see it and come closer to it. Cause you're actually in a place of strength and you're able to like shine a light and see it. Whereas like you weren't right. able to before. You know? And if you're in the darkness, how can you notice the darkness? You have to be in the light, right? At yeah. Least, that's at least just to it. Some degree. If you're, if you're in the darkness, you don't think you're in darkness, you know? Right. Um, you're just like, well, this is just how it is. And yeah, I mean, I feel like I was under like various spells, you know, like before all of this. And I, I feel like this album has definitely been a sort of revelation. I mean, on a lot of levels, like, you know, I mean, obviously like there's like the macrocosmic issue with, you know, like just <laughs> our world as we know, as we've known it totally unraveling, but also just, you know, I think, you know, being taken out of the music game for a little while and being able to see certain things about it from a place of a spectator, you know, for the first time, uh, was interesting. And I think now that I'm, you know, back in it, I'm back in it with newfound knowledge of what I've seen about it. And, you know, it's, it's tricky. I am, I'm still completely, um, vulnerable to spells and uh, illusions and still getting tricked by things. But I do feel like, um, I don't know, it feels slightly more transparent now where I'm able to see through certain things that used to be crushing. You know, I used to just be really crushed by like negative reviews or something, for instance. Uh-huh. And now I'm just like, dude, like, who are these people? They're just like some right. like bored frat bros who like, you know, listen to Jay-Z, like who cares, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like, I don't care. Or like, you know, like, like, like a pitchfork would be like, who fucking cares? Like, like what they're like giving you a score. You can't score music. That's insane. (laughs) Like get out of school. You're just a bunch of children, you know? And like, look at, look at even like the name pitchfork. I mean, like, like who, who are these people serving? You know I mean? Like some of the stuff is just very, very obvious to me now, but at the time, you know, you like still kind of young and naive and, you know, you, you think these, these people have a lot of power, you know? Right. Um, but they don't, they just have influence, you know, and you can choose to be under that influence or not just like, you know, being under the influence of drugs or alcohol, you can choose to be under that influence or not, you know, don't drink the Kool-Aid and you're not under the influence, you know? So, yeah, but it's a weird time. I mean, so it's a fucking weird time to be making music. I'll say that. Interesting time. I mean, I think I always wanted to live through a time like this. Um, you always wanted to. Yeah, I've always been into the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> how do you I've always def- wanted to live through the end of the world? <laughs> how do you define the word apocalypse? I saw someone uh, was quoting or is defining it in 
more of a a, a positive light. That yeah, I think it's positive. Uh huh. Um, I mean, to me, like apocalypse, it comes from like the ancient Greek word for revelation, and that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh-huh. It's like it's a reveal. You know, a curtain is being lifted. Right. It's a reveal. Like the emperor has no clothes. You know, you're you're ushered into the cosmic VIP backstage, and you're able to see, you know, all the smoke and mirrors behind what's going on. Pay no attention to the stage. man behind the curtain. Exactly. Yeah, man. <laughs> Wizard of Oz. Like, I mean, that movie still to this day, I think it's like my favorite film ever. I think it's like everything about the spiritual path in a nutshell. I mean, it really is like you give all this power, you know, to this thing. And then you realize it's just like this, it's just like this pathetic little man, you know, just pulling strings behind (laughs) it. It's like, all I can give you is diploma being like, here, you have a brain. Like, I'm not going to give you a brain, but here's a diploma that says you're smart. You know, it's like all you can expect from this world is symbols. You know, you can only get like these cheap ersatzes of the thing you really want. And the thing you really want is what you already have. So just click your heels and your home, you know, like no one can give that to you. Um, and that's, and I think that's it. It's just like, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of apocalypse is, it's a destruction of expectations, you know, it's destruction of illusion. And I'm not saying it's not painful. I mean, has not been an easy year at all for me and for a lot of people. Um, but it's, I wouldn't trade it, you know? Um, I think it's just super interesting. I think it's a privilege to be able to, to see stuff, you know? And I, you know, I mean, I guess that, that I think the apocalypse, I mean, it's not even like, we're living in some sort of special time. We're living in a time where it's incredibly obvious, I think, what's going on. Right. But, you know, one could argue the apocalypse has always been happening. <laughs> Maybe this is just like one long chopped and screwed apocalypse, and it's been going on for a very long time. I would argue, and though, we're coming to some sort of crescendo right now. It does feel that way, yeah. It does feel it definitely feels like things have ramped up. Um, but so, you know, I mean, I've also experienced like periods in my life that felt like apocalypses, like right. you know, where you felt like you know you're like losing family members or losing you know significant others or you know losing like a pattern of being that used to work for you or a place you used to call home or when your you fa- when your when your favorite restaurant closes down. Oh my God. Totally. Yeah. That happened to me. Man, when Angelica's closed in New York, oof, sad day. Yeah. Sad day. Yeah. You know, there, apocalypses can happen on so many levels, you know. But this is a collective one. Yeah. It does feel like it's worldwide, you know. And then, you know, and looking at your album again with the, you know, the, the snake and the shedding of the snake skin. Uh, mm-hmm. What was your snake's name, by the way? You know, I just called it snake. Snake. <laughs> cool. It's like me calling you human. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I was I was only with it for like a month. And the whole idea was, you know, uh-huh. for me to 
gradually rehabilitate it to a place where it could be released into the wild. Oh, you were, you were snake sitting. Well, well, kind of. Yeah. I mean, I got, I got the snake off Craigslist, you know, um, you know, it had been in captivity, captivity for like about 15 years. Um, although the guy found it in the wild, so he kind of captured it. It was a native snake to Texas. Um, and he kind of, I know, I know. Um, yeah. And so I was just like, you know, this is, I, I just want to let the snake go like back to its rightful home. But I also, you know, I realized that there has to be a kind of period of rewilding before you're just cast out into the wild. So I kind of, you know, made this gallery space like its habitat as closely as I could, you know, uh, put sand on the ground, you know, rocks and, you know, was like trying to encourage it to, you know, hunt live prey and stuff. And, uh, well, let me ask you, you know, this. when you went yeah. to sleep, did you have a barrier between you and the snake? No, no. I mean, yeah, the snake, I mean, honestly, like to be honest, like I wish it was more interested in me than it was. Okay. It really couldn't give a shit. I mean, I was too big to be its prey. Uh-huh. And, uh, and the thing with constrictor snakes is they don't bite you. You know, right. they, like they're they, that's not how they kill they they squeeze their prey and i'm way too big for it and so i mean if anything it thought maybe i was like a tree it could climb on or something you know i see like i was never like yeah i was never like that um yeah maybe if it was like a venomous snake or something i'd be like a little more concerned but a little more <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know how big was the snake snake seven feet seven feet okay yeah. But yeah, so I don't know. I just, I felt like calling it a, a name felt too humanizing or something like maybe I'd go too attached to it. Like I just kind of wanted it to be itself and, you know, I knew I was going to let it go at the end. So I'm sorry. Whatever. I, I, I tried to shut off call waiting and somehow it didn't work. And so there's, Oh, that's okay. I didn't hear anything. Oh, you didn't hear it. Okay, good. No, my sister actually tried to call too. <laughs> Oh, she always I, knows yeah. when I'm like in the middle of something, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, and so, but, but I, I have felt the same thing though. And maybe a lot of people have during this time, like kind of a shedding, a shedding of the skin, you know? Yeah. You know, yeah. That, you know, you've lost, you know, the past, the past is gone and we're kind of almost, we feel like we're in a new era, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like we've, we've waken up from a dream or something. And now we're in a totally. <laughs> now we're in a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of. We woke up from the dream, and now we're in a nightmare. <laughs> but you know, I I would like to think that it's a it's a transitioning period to a better time. It's just a t- difficult. I have that optimism, but in my yeah, no, I I feel optimistic too. Um, even if it's not the whole world going into a better time, quote unquote. I mean, who knows what a better time is? Right. I think. Um, I think it's just more of like there's certain people who are going to remain loyal to the old systems right. and that's fine. You know, it's like they, they are part of the matrix, so to speak. Like they, they're helping keep it, um, keep the architecture firm, you know, keep its spirit alive. And maybe that's just part of the design. You know, I don't know that part of the design for this realm is for everyone to wake up out of it. You know, maybe at certain points, but not all at once. After all, um, it's, a temp- you know, it's a temporary realm anyway. 
it's a temporary realm. I feel like it's right. like a school for our souls. And, and I right. feel like, you know, it's about finding those other people and making communities, you know, and, you know, right now I think we're all still semi in a state of shock. And I think, you know, the people that haven't totally w- woken up out of um, the matrix, so to speak. I mean, I don't know. It's like a cheesy term, but y- you know what I mean? Um, no, I know. I mean, I mean, yeah, the, the, the new mate, the new version of, of <laughs> the, the, the new world order. Yeah. Totally. Well, I, no, I don't well know. the new I mean, matrix movie is coming out too. I know. It's, I'm very excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, they're going to, I think the transition for them is a lot easier because they're just going back to doing things the way they did them before. I mean, I'm, I'm watching a lot of my friends just jump right back into touring, jump right back into, you know, living in the city and, and doing things like they normally do. And I'm like, Whoa, I am. I feel like I just got out of war. Right. You know, I'm not, I'm not ready to, yeah, I, I, that system is dead to me now. You know, like I've already seen too much about it that was not working. Are you I thinking think about go back into it? Like suicide, you know? Right. Would you consider doing any live shows anywhere? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, uh-huh. I'm not opposed to touring. I'm actually doing right. a, a show this Saturday. Um, first one in a while, but you know, I, I don't know what it's like down there. I have a feeling it's probably like way more chill down there, but up here, you know, it's, fe- it's, it's fest week. It's complicated to, it's what? It's fest week. I don't know what that means. Fest, uh, you know, the. Oh, uh, right. Gainesville Fest. Right, right. Yeah, yeah it's, it's this weekend. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. I, I don't know. I don't know what, what it's like to play shows down there. I should probably look into it. But up here, it's just like, oh, my God, there's so many restrictions. And I don't know. I just, I don't feel comfortable playing a show where certain people are excluded. Um, yeah, that's not, on, it's not, it's not, you don't have to have a, a vaccination or I don't even know if you even, you just have to wear a mask, I think here. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or in okay. some places you don't need to wear a mask. It depends on the particular venue, but, uh, it's a lot, yeah. it's a lot more open. Are you going to do a show in Gainesville? I'd love to. Um, I actually don't even know where to play anymore. <laughs> where do you play? <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of good places. Heartwood's a great place to play. Heartwood, what's ha- that? Ha- <laughs> Heartwood is you know where uh, Depot. Um, yeah. In between Maine and Depot, right? Well, it's just uh-huh. before you get to Depot Park. There's um. And do you, uh, you have you been to Depot Park? You, yeah, you were here. Yeah, you were here. great. Yeah. yeah. So there's a place called Heartwood Soundstage. There's an indoor and outdoor venue. Venue. Hmm. And uh, that's where they had the recent Tom Petty Fest, for example. Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, sounds, that sounds sweet. Yeah, that's um, one place, but there's a lot of places you could play. You know, I mean, yeah. there's like uh, where, where, the High Dive. You know, where, oh, oh, right, yeah, I've played there. Yeah. This is cool. Yeah. I remember I when it used to be Common Grounds. Right, Common Grounds. And then it was old. the Double Door or something, <laughs> or what was it? I can't remember. Yeah, I don't know. I To be honest, like, I mean... Because I, I started a record label to release this this album, um, and it's just taken up like the entirety of my being. I've just been like pretty much just like like you know like packing up records all day every day and shipping like like my new life, you know. Um, so I I want to I want to focus on like touring, but I just I want to I want to do touring, but I, I don't I don't feel right with like the way touring is now. Um, 
But you press, and you press. Could you tell tell me about uh, the vinyl that you pressed? Yeah, um, it's a it's a record. You can you can put it on a record player. Play <laughs> <laughs> sounds like the olden days. Yeah, well, I, I like know. the olden um, days. Tell yeah, me more. I think it's I think it's cool. Yeah, I think it's cool. I don't know. It's like this magical thing. It's, it's I'm like wow, this was a sound, and and now I can like feel like all the songs just etched into to vinyl. There are all these like little squeaky lines, and that's my music. It's so crazy, you know. And somebody will find it 50 years from now. Right, yeah, or 100 years from now, 200 right. years from now. You're making like a fossil. It's so cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, unless you sit it out in the sun for too long, then you're not going to have much of a fossil. It'll just be a puddle. <laughs> or leave it in a hot car in Gainesville for an hour, see what happens to it. So how can people get this record? What's the deal? Um. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's available should be available in like most record stores um and if not you can always hop on over to my band camp and i'll pack one up for you and ship it maybe even draw a little smiley face on it (laughs) (laughs) cool (laughs) so yeah yeah i feel i feel really happy with it um i can hear your 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 uh the texas part of you coming out right now yeah, I don't know why. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, it's been it's been a good journey, I'd say. And Sorry, who, who, you can hear my boyfriend talking really loud on the well, phone. So, <laughs> was your boyfriend involved with this record? No, no, I, I, I swore off playing music with significant others after Michael. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, who did you work with on the record? Um, my friend Ryan, who played guitar with Prince Rama. Um, he's just, he's like my brother. He's just like super chill, super easy to work with, like super knowledgeable um, about recording and stuff. And he kind of like, kind of coached me, you know, he like taught me how to use logic and kind of set me up. And, uh, you know, I ended up like recording most of it myself and he kind of helped me with like arranging and mixing and stuff. Um, so you but, have a you have a natural yeah, he helped you have a natural knack for that. I don't, not at all. You don't. Um, it sounds like <laughs> I'm, I'm really not. No, no, I'm not. I'm not the, technical at all. Like, the record is you know. there's so many layers to it. I mean, it. Uh, you know. Oh yeah, one of the tracks has over 400 tracks on it. Really? <laughs> it's like Psycho. Oh yeah, Zero Zero One has like 450 tracks on it. How do you even yeah, conceptualize I mean, once, once some I, of those things? Once I start going, I just oh Substacks. All about the Substacks. Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just I just go to town. I think Ryan helps reel it in a little bit. He's like, yo, this song is like, there's too many things going on. Let's uh, <laughs> no, reel it great. in. Let's uh, get it, get it, get it boxed, you know, down, down to the, the basic element. Because um, you hear new things every time you listen to the to it, you know? Yeah, well, that's what I like. That's, those are like my favorite records are like stuff you like hear new things every time, you know? And, like I love all the panning, and, you know, just. I can get really cracked out on all that stuff, you know. Yeah, that 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 stuff I really like to do. Um, it's just all the other technical. I hate mixing. Oh my god, really hate mixing a lot. <laughs> it's tedious. Yeah, and you just have to listen to the song like too many times. You're like, wow, I thought I liked this song, and after the hundred and twelfth time today, I fucking hate it and never want to hear it again. You know. That's you start funny. doubting if you're even any good 
and then you know you like take take a break and come back a few days later you're like oh yeah this is great it's fine but yeah you definitely get to like the depths of psychosis you know when you're like mixing (laughs) i had heard that don henley was uh in the i guess he was in the apartment next to jackson brown when he was writing running on empty and apparently oh yeah every single day he played that song for hours oh yeah before it ever came out don henley was so sick of it (laughs) oh yeah totally (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but it's the that's, song that's, that's the but it's the song that stood the test of time. You know what I mean? So right, it's a totally. I guess the it's a it's a process that's uh, I don't know. You gotta you gotta surrender to it. Yeah, you do, um, and just try not to lose your mind completely. I think I think I did better with this album than some other albums. I mean, I can get super OCD perfectionistic. Um, I got a little bit. OCD and perfectionistic with the test pressings for sure. Um, I actually had to go through three rounds of test pressings and which I've never had to do. Usually, you know, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Usually, usually I don't have to do that, but this time I was just, you know, you can, you can kind of get lost in the weeds. I think. Are you, like, are, are you are you happy now though i mean do you do you listen to it and do you, is any part of you said oh i should have done this oh i should have done that or are you just no 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 i, I feel i feel it? completely i feel completely happy with it yeah cool. I, I feel really good with it and you know a lot of it too was like i think um you know i i recorded most of the songs in one take like the bones of it anyway like i i would just kind of hit record kind of while i was writing it you know like just really capture that initial spirit of that song and you know even if my voice is like a little wonky or like not totally on pitch or like the microphone's a little blown out I'll be like no man that's the take that's I'm keeping that you know that's that's the song that's like the living song you know it's like unprocessed it's like unfiltered and then I think you know just sticking to that it really does feel like a record in the sense of like a, a documentation, like it feels like a record of this feeling or of this time, you know, um, it really I can does. hear, it really does. I can hear like the air conditioner, you know, like going or the hum of the air conditioner in the background because it was, you know, 105 degrees in Texas while I was recording. I'm like, man, I'm, I, I know I shouldn't shut this air conditioner off, but I kind of, it's like that Leonard Cohen thing where it's just like, just be easy on yourself. Just, leave the air conditioner on <laughs> if it makes you more comfortable. Who cares? You know, like there's a lot of moments like that where you're like, yeah, I'm just going to leave it, you know, and, and, and whatever. It's just, it's part of the stew. It's, it, it helps make it, you know, sound the way it does. Just part of, part of, you know, yeah. The weird, the weird and re- wonderful recipe that, you know, makes you a certain song sound a certain way. So, yeah. A, uh, the Dylan song, I think it was stuck inside of Mobile with the Memphis Blues again. There's an obvious mistake that he made, and he didn't care. He didn't go over back and try to change it. He just wanted to. Oh move, yeah. He just wanted to move on. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I don't know. Some of those mistakes are great. Like if you listen to old Rolling Stones records, they're mixed terrible. <laughs> you know, I mean, some of those songs, Mick Jagger's voice is anywhere but on pitch uh-huh. the tambourines <laughs> off time you know like the guitarist hand all the way to the left the drums are all the way to the right and you're like 
what is this? Like if you're listening and trying to make it perfect in your head, it sounds like dog shit. <laughs> but then like you back up and you're like, wow, this is great. Like, I don't know, right. whatever it is. It's like, it just right. has that energy, you know? Right. So that, and that's helpful because there's a lot of music being released right now that sounds perfect. But it's, I mean, pitch but perfect. It, it has no depth. It has no. Soul. There's just nothing. Yeah. There's no fucking spirit at all. Yeah, it's soulless, punk, they're just, soulless. they're just dead. Yeah. So I mean, look, who cares? I'm I not mean, trying to make a perfect record, you know? Right. Like the Ramones, for example. Yeah. Oh, I love them. Yeah. They weren't like perfectionists. I mean, it's good no. to be a perfectionist in a, in a way you can make a great, you know, you can make a great record, but it, it, at some point you just have to let it go. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think a lot of it has to do with accepting who you are. And I think that's one of those moments where like this idea of paradise lost can come in handy where it's like, um, you know, if you're not attached to this idea of perfection, when you realize that like that doesn't exist, then you can just be yourself and you can accept the reality of like who you are, do you where feel, you are. Do you feel like when you're being yourself that, you're not trying to make an impression on other people or can you still try to do that and be yourself? What do you mean? I'm, I'm asking if you can be yourself and not try to make a, a, like a good impression on somebody. Can you be yourself I mean, and not? Oh yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, can you be yourself in, but and still try to make a good impression on someone? Anyway, I'm getting it mixed up, but well, yeah. let me ask you this. If you're trying to make a good impression on someone, then you're trying. Right. And what, what is a good impression? Right. In you're the trying, eyes but you don't want to be apathetic. You know what I mean? Sure. But you want, you want to like do your best at the same time. You don't want to like, you want to show up. Yeah. Okay. Show up. Okay. <laughs> I kind of look at it like that. It's like, you want to show up. Right. Like you want to show up to whatever you're doing and be there like 110%. And to me, I think if you do that, doesn't matter what impression you make you can be apathetic to what the other person thinks about you but still like show up for you right and you know i found like in the past if i if i um meet up with someone i haven't seen in 10 or 20 years they'll say mm-hmm. something about me that they liked that mm. i never even noticed i never tried to i never tried to put i mean in other words i didn't like try to i might have been trying to impress them in another way but that's mm. not what they were impressed by. You know what I mean? Sometimes right, totally. You, like you don't even you're know focusing on one thing, and they're focusing on like something totally different. And and something that is actually really you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, yo, I'm human. Of course, I like try to impress other people. You know, sure. I'd be lying if I said I I didn't. You know, I uh-huh. think anyone who says they don't give a fuck what other people think, I think they're total liars. You know, <laughs> well, that's a sign that they do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even just saying that it's like, that's creating an aura about you, you know, uh-huh. like you want to paint the picture to other people that you're one of these people don't give a fuck. But yeah, I don't know. Of course we're, we're like, we're tribal creatures. We always care, you know, what other people think. And we don't want people to think we're like complete psychopaths. Um, but, but that shouldn't be our primary motivation. Yeah, but it's also like, I think it's also, to me, I think that that instinct isn't necessarily negative. Um, I think different people can bring out different insecurities or different um, 
areas that you got to work on more. Uh-huh. And by seeing them, maybe it brings those things out if you haven't already worked on them. And then, but that could be good. That could be a good thing because by caring, it's actually you caring about yourself. You're like, oh man, like, I feel like I still haven't totally dealt with this thing from high school. And I hope they don't notice this about me. <laughs> you know, like, I hope I don't totally revert back to like an angsty 15 year old. Um, but, you know, that could be good because, I don't know, it could just bring those things up and then maybe it helps you be more aware of them. You know, so in that, in that case, caring about what someone else thinks could be helpful, you know. But again, you have sure. to you have to guess like wh- who is this person that I care, or why do you care what they think? Right. You know, like like back to music critics or something. It's like, you know, when you actually meet some of these people who are behind writing reviews of your records, like you know, I did something that uh, I never did during Prince Rama, um, where I like you know went to this party, this like pitchfork party, and like met all of these people that like write these reviews and, you know, in your head, they're like a certain way. But then like when you meet them in real life, they're like a lot less intimidating. You're like, Oh man, like why did I care what you thought? You know? Um, yeah. Or if it's someone who's like your favorite artist, then, you know, that's something different. You're going to care in a different kind of way. Sure. What they think. Um, but yeah, really, I think at the, at the, at the core of it though, is what you're looking for is unconditional love. You're looking for someone to just accept you flaws and all. I think we're all looking for that. We're actually not looking for someone to look at us and think we're perfect. or think we're so cool. It's like we want someone to be able to see some of our flaws and love us anyway, you know, but God does that. And if God's just parading as everyone else wearing a mask, you just have to remember like everyone's God. So who are you really trying to repress? Uh huh. God already loves you, you know? And, uh, to quote a built the spill song, God is aware who you're performing for, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Definitely. So, I don't know. I think that that also is helpful sometimes if you get like spun out on trying to impress other people. You're like, oh yeah, but like they're just God, and like me and God are cool. God accepts me. Well, how um, about um, you know we're in this we're in this time of censorship where you know they're quote unquote burning books. And oh yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, and someone burns a book, I want to f- read it. If someone's being censored. I want to talk to that person. Oh yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> you know for sure. But yeah, uh, I'm like that too. But, but at the same time, it's hard to, you know, to to speak out of what, what we what you really think. It uh, is. You 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 have to not. You have to be. You have to have a certain amount of callousness that you don't care how they're going to respond. You know what that, I mean? That that is a tricky subject. Yeah, I think about this a lot. Um, I think what's hard about that is it's not just about people caring. It's not about caring what other people think. It's, it's realizing there's like these very real ramifications for being honest 
Yeah. And oh, yeah. we're living in a world where it's not completely safe to be yourself completely. Right. If being yourself means going against the mainstream narrative. Right. And, you know, it's sad. I think it's been kind of a mind fuck for me because I can't really, I don't feel like I'm really in a place where I can speak freely because there is a part of me that is like scared, you know, uh-huh. um, of people taking things the wrong way. People, um, yeah, just losing su- support from people because this is, this is all I got. I don't have another job. Right. You know? Right. Um, and that's hard. You know, and I know I'm not alone in feeling that way. I think there's there's so many people out there that there's no space for critical discourse. There's no space for, you know, a multitude of opinions or, you know, um, there's not even space for questioning. And I'm, I'm the kind of person, I ask questions, you know, and if, if everyone's going along with something, I want to know why. And I usually am gravitated towards doing the opposite, you know. And so, you know, in the past, that was like considered something, you know, rebellious, you know, you're uh, an outsider, you're a weirdo, you're a, you're avant-garde, you're, you know, a free thinker. Now it's like, you're public enemy number one. <laughs> and so people, it's people, just, people become irate. They feel threatened. Yeah. 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 Just having, having like, like, different, um, just even like a more subtle perspective, you know, or any sort of perspective that, you know, is more about unity and not division. Right. It's like the, the division narrative is just being pushed so hard right now. And it's, it, it breaks my heart because music to me is always something that feels like it has the capacity to transcend, you know, not only divisions of like, you know, race, gender, um, you know, creed, you know, culture, cultural background. It's like it it can transcend, you know, deeply ingrained belief systems or, you know, politics, religion, all these things. You know, it's like. Because it touches the soul. It touches the soul. And to me, it's like I'm not interested in playing these, you know, like. 3D games where we're just like base basing everything on these like super surface level uh, arguments and stuff. It's like, well, that's not, that's not why I went into music. And it's, it's confusing because a, a lot of musicians right now are forced being not forced, but pressured into taking these like political stances, uh-huh. you know, on all these topics and stuff. And it's almost like if you don't do that, you're, I don't know, um, you're not really, like, taken seriously. You're not one of us. You're not one of us. Yeah, exactly. So it's like... I don't want to be one of us. <laughs> totally. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not playing that game. And, you know, like, I, this isn't why I made music. And I'm trying to remember, like, what the quote is. Alice Cooper had this awesome quote where he was just kind of, like, criticizing musicians you know, or not, not, not musicians so much, but criticizing people for looking to musicians for what to think about politics. He's like, yo, like, don't listen to you know, me about, you know, who to vote for or, you know, 
whatever. But he, he said it more eloquently. But I mean, basically, it's, it's just so it's so crazy. It's like I shouldn't have like I should be able to put on any record and it should have nothing to deal with who you vote for or like what you think about COVID, you know, who uh-huh. fucking cares? Like uh-huh. it should, we should be able to like be having these conversations in like another dimension, you know, where that shit doesn't matter. And that's what I'm interested in. And that's not to say that this other shit doesn't matter. I mean, obviously I know it matters a lot to a lot of people and it, and it affects all of us on some shape or form. Um, but I don't know. I don't know that that is, I mean, I know maybe for some people that's music's role and good for them, but that is not the role of music for me. And um, I don't know. I, I, I'm interested, if that's the culture, I'm, I'm interested in creating a culture outside of that culture that doesn't feel that way, you know, where there's more freedom and people can just think whatever they want and not feel demonized or ostracized for it. And, uh, yeah, it's crazy. We're really at like crazy crossroads right now. Um, and I've become really disillusioned with what I thought were the bohemian free thinking alternative class, you know? Well, when I was um, growing up in the seventies, there was a bumper sticker question authority. And these were like, you know, they're basically people who are hippies who, you know, mm-hmm. came up with this as far as I, I know, uh, this quote, and now the same people who are like descendants of the hippies, they just accept authority without question. And if you and if you say anything, mm-hmm. and if you bring up even facts, they don't want to hear it. They get upset, right. and therefore it makes it so you don't want to say anything. But right, totally, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel the same way with like punk. You know, I thought punk was all about, you know sovereignty more than anything else personal sovereignty finding that freedom within yourself to like think your own thoughts come to your own beliefs about things be responsible for your own actions and your own personal expression and now all the punks are just like if you do not vote for this person then (laughs) you're dead to me or you know if, if you don't take this thing and you're dead to me. I'm like, you guys are literally just spouting corporate agendas. And I don't care if that's what you think. Like, that's totally cool. Like that is your right to think that. But I think the thing that bothers me is just that it feels so, um, like it's not coming from a place of respecting personal sovereignty. It's, it's very much coming from like this almost like propaganda space where it's like you, you conform or else. And that's not what punk is about to me. Yeah. So. Well, you know, when, you know, when big corporations and, you know, Wall Street people and everything kind of take over the music industry, that's what you, that's what you got. They already have. (laughs) I mean, I played in like a Doritos tent at South by Southwest. How much more corporate can you get? You know, do you, my brother grew up eating Doritos. Well, I did too, but he really liked them. But uh, of course we don't eat them anymore. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't like, you know, 3D ranch? <laughs> Nacho cheese was the one we <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. I, I, I have to get going, Tarka, because um, I basically have to get dinner on the table. My wife's coming home and, and a house husband. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This has been done. a great, great conversation. <laughs> Thanks for being so patient. I just figured 
it would probably be better for us to talk like, I don't know, when we had stuff to talk about. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm so glad that we waited because I, I got to listen to the to the record, you know. That was oh, the most important thing. And, and, and as many times as I have. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much for, for listening to it and, like, asking such thoughtful questions and stuff. It's refreshing. <laughs> if I'm ever in the area when you when you're performing live, I'll, I'll try to come see you. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Well, thanks so much. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have a good, have a good night. Have a good dinner. And, um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for taking the time to talk. Okay. Thank you. And I'll let you know when this, when this comes out. All right. Sounds good. Harry Bull. Okay. Harry Bull. You're listening to the Gargsville podcast with your host, Gargs Allard. Hi, folks. It's the old dog whispering himself. Old Uncle Hound here to tell you about a brand new product of mine called Old Uncle Hound's Vegan Dog Treats. It's just like the treats our dog's ancestors used to eat here in North Central Florida in the 70s. Only they're vegan, and they taste good for both dogs and humans, especially old hippies. Mm -hmm. Just munching on one right now. Tastes good like a vegan dog treat should. Don't eat a full bag of them or your dog might get angry at you and scratch some Lyme disease ticks all over your body. Old Uncle Hound's vegan dog treats are now available in fine pet stores everywhere. Thanks so much to Tarika Larson for taking the time for doing this interview with me. I know you've been very busy signing and shipping your brand new record, Welcome to Paradise Lost. I recently received her said solo debut album in vinyl via the mail, and it's awesome. <clears throat> and you can also be like me and do so by typing in tarika1111.bandcamp.com and receive this album or get it wherever you get your music. I really think you'll be happy you did. Now, this is going to perhaps get a few people who are listening hot under the collar or worse, but I don't care enough not to say this. Here goes. I highly recommend everyone out there to check out Robert F. Kennedy's new book, The Real Anthony Fauci, which is currently, as of this recording, the number one bestseller on Amazon.com. I am an aspiring follower of the Four Agreements, a creed popularized by author Don Miguel Ruiz, which state, number one, be impeccable with your word. Number two, don't take anything personally. Number three, don't make assumptions. Please don't make assumptions, people. And number four, try your best. The fifth agreement happens to be be open-minded and skeptical at the same time. Or, in other words, be a critical thinker without prejudice. We were talking about the mainstream media earlier, or at least I was, and said media, who in my opinion is owned by people who don't have our best interests at heart, labeled RFK Jr. a conspiracy theorist a while ago. Well, personally, I consider him a conspiracy factorist. Conspiracy theorist is a pejorative term that is often a handy way of marginalizing a critical thinker who is on to you. And often it is used to pull the wool over innocent people's eyes. 
This is intentional knavish and gaslighting behavior meant to deceive others. And it really curls my tail, if you know what I mean. It's very frustrating, but I am learning to stay calm. And I am trying to have the courage to speak out, because we have to speak out, even though I may lose some friends in the process. So if you disagree with me, please don't take it personally. I believe that we all should have rational, respectful discussions. To me, there are certainly a lot of ridiculous theories out there, but it doesn't mean parties with common interests don't, from time to time, get together to conspire for their own gain against the welfare of the people in general. Just check out history. In this connection, I urge everyone to not be influenced by said media, but rather sharpen your own critical thinking skills and be open-minded and skeptical about everything, especially when the powers that be politicize things to turn us against each other in divide and conquer. Like Don Henley once said, you don't know who the enemy is. You could be wrong. I recently urge my Facebook followers to at least give it a read or a listen like I did, and I got a lot of grief from it, as one may expect, all by people who never took the time to read it. The book is a very scholarly and fact-verified endeavor with copious sourced endnotes at the end of each chapter. It's very thick. It's over 400 pages long. If you want to be educated about who this lab-coated man is who tells us to trust the science and who so many people put their blind faith into, I urge you to read this book with an open mind and decide for yourself. Before Mr. Kennedy took on the establishment like his father and uncle did before him, he was the darling of the media. But now he is a threat and has been deplatformed by the likes of Facebook and YouTube and many others and so many intelligent people just blindly believe the smears concerning this individual without actually looking into the matter themselves. God help us all if the majority of us continue to proceed in this way. This gargatorial has been presented to you by the Save the Garg Society and is necessarily the opinion of Garg's Allard, and hopefully yours as well, but many of you, I doubt it, Nevertheless, I still am grateful for you and appreciate your existence. Until we meet again, happy Thanksgiving. With love, respect, and best wishes, Hare Krishna. Hello, this is Garg Zallard, host of Power Pop Portal, the Gainesville Grooves, and the Gargsville Radio Hour. I'm here to tell you you can become just like me with my brand new 777 diet program, as seen on infomercials everywhere. I developed the 777 Diet Program to make my life simpler, and yours can become simpler too. I will personally show you how to gain 7 pounds in 7 days on only $7 a day. That's 7 pounds in 7 days for only $7 a day. You must not be averse, however, to a diet consisting primarily of pizza and ice cream. That's the 777 Program, available at Walmart, Walgreens, and across the street at CVS. Tell them Garg's Allard sent you. It's time for all of us to once again float off into different frequencies. The night dreams and the daydreams. 
Until the next time we meet again in Gargsville.